Hi everyone, welcome to Bursting D three on three. I'm your host Anna. That's my co-host. Live. And today we're gonna do the case part two of Dean Corral, the Candyman or the Pied Piper. Before we start part two, we're going to recap what we covered in the first part of the Dean Corral case in part one. We found Dean's family owned a candy shop that he helped run. He ended up going into the army in 1964 when he came back after 10 months of service. He confided in his friends that he had his first homosexual encounter and he was homosexual. The candy shop relocated and Dean would give candy to neighborhood kids because the shop was located across from an elementary school. That's how he got the nickname The Candyman. He eventually met a 12-year-old boy named David Brooks, who he started having a sexual relationship with. David introduced Dean to another boy named Hanley on August 8, 1973. A call was placed to 911 by Hanley, telling the police he had killed Dean. Dean's body was found dead in the home. The kids were taken into into be questioned. Hanley said he shot Dean in self-defense because Dean threatened him that morning. And for almost three years, Dean was having Hanley bring him boys to rape and torture and admitted to helping Dean in the torture and killings of the boys, saying he was paid $200 for each boy he brought to Dean. But police thought Henley was lying and was, were very skeptical until he started leaving police to the burial sites of bodies. They ended up finding a total of eight bodies till the investigation was discontinued to the next day. Now that we're all caught up, here's part two of Dean Corral. Accompanied by his father, Brooks presented himself at HPD headquarters on the evening of August 8th and gave a statement which he denied any participation in the murders, but admitted to having known that Dean had raped and killed two youths in 1970s. On the morning of August 9th, Henley gave a full written statement detailing his and Brooks' involvement with Correll in the abduction and murder of numerous youth. In this, in this confession, Henley really readily admitted to having personally killed approximately nine youths and had to have assisted Dean in the strangulation of others. He stated the only three abductions and murders Brooks had not assisted him and Dean with were committed in the summer of 1973. That afternoon, Henley accompanied police to Lake Sam Rayburn, where he, Brooks, and Correll had buried four victims killed that year. Two additional bodies were found in shallow lime-soaked graves located close to a dirt road. Inside the lakeside log cabin owned by Dean's family, police found a second plywood torture rope board, rolls of plastic sheeting, shovels and a sack of lime. The same day the police returned to the boat shed and found nine additional bodies and all were in a advanced state of decomposition. The twelfth body on earth bore evidence of sexual mutilization. The severe genitals of the victims were found inside a sealed plastic bag placed beside the body. Another victim on earth had several fractured ribs. The 13th and 14th bodies on Earth bore identification cards naming the victims as Donald and Jerry Waldrop. Brooks gave a full confession in the evening, admitting to being present at several killings and assisting in several burials, although he continued to deny any direct participation in the murders. In reference to the torture board upon which Dean had restrained and tortured his victims, Brooks stated once they were on the board, they were as good as dead. It was all over but the shouting and the crying. In reference to the actual murderers. Brooks stated as witnessing his, the victim's death didn't bother him, adding, I saw it done many times. He agreed to accompany police to High Island Beach to assist in the search of the bodies of more victims. On August 10, 1973, Henley again accompanied, accompanied police to Lake Sam Rayburn, where two more bodies were found buried just 10 feet apart 
As with the two bodies found the previous day, both victims had been tortured and severely beaten, particularly around the head. That afternoon, both Henley and Brooks accompanied police to Highland Beach, leading police to shallow graves of two victims. On August 13th, both Henley and Brooks again accompanied... Okay. Where four more bodies were found. Sorry, I just read the same thing over and over again. Making a total of 27 known victims. The worst killing spree in American history at the time. Henley initially insisted that there were two more bodies to be found inside the boat shed and that the bodies of two more boys had been here buried at Highland Island Beach in 1972. At the time, the killing spree was the worst case of serial murder in terms of the number of victims in the United States. Family of Corral's victims were highly critical of the HPD, which had been quick to list the missing boys as runaways, who had not been considered worthy of any major investigation. By May of 1974, 21 of Corral's victims had been identified, with all but four of the youths having been identified. Two more teenagers were identified in 1983 and in 1985. Elmer Wayne Henley and David Owen Brooks were tried separately for their roles in the murders. They described the final confrontation leading up to Dean's death. Henley had invited Timothy Cordell Curley to attend a party at Dean's residence. Curley, a casual acquaintance of Dean's, who was intended to be his next victim, accepted the offer. The two arrived at Dean's home where they sniffed paint fumes and drank alcohol until midnight before leaving the house, promising to return shortly. Henley and Curley then drove back to Henley's home. The two exited the vehicle, and Henley, hearing commotion across the street, coming from the home of his 15-year-old friend, Rhonda Lewis Williams, so he walked toward her home. Rhonda had a sprained ankle and had been beaten by her drunken father that evening and accepted Henley's invitation to join him and Curly at Dean's home. Williams climbed into the backseat of Curly's Volkswagen. The trio then drove towards Dean's residence. Dean was furious that Henley had brought a girl to his house, telling him, in private that he had ruined everything. Henley explained that Williams had argued with her father that evening and did not wish re- to return home. Dean had appeared to calm down and offered the trio beer and marijuana. The three teenagers began drinking and smoking mar- marijuana when Henley and Curly also sniffing paint fumes as Dean watched. After two hours, Henley, Curly, and Williams all passed out. When Henley awoke to find himself lying on his stomach and Dean snapping handcuffs onto his wrists. His mouth had been taped shut and his ankles had been bound together. Curly and Williams lay beside Henley, securely bound with, bound with nylon rope, gagged with adhesive tape, and lying face down on the floor. Curly had been stripped naked. Dean, seeing that Henley had awoken, removed the gag from his mouth. Henley protested, Henley protested that's when Dean said he was angry with Henley for bringing a girl to his house, and that he intended to kill all three after he had assaulted and tortured Curly. Initially saying, man, you blew it bringing that girl before shouting, I'm going to kill you all. But first I'm going to have my fun. He then repeatedly kicked Williams in the chest before lifting Henley to his feet, dragging him into his kitchen and placing a 22 caliber pistol against his stomach, threatening to shoot him. Henley calmed him down by promising to participate in the torture and murder of both Williams and Curly if Corral released him. Dean agreed and untied Henley, then carried Curly and Williams into his bedroom and tied them to opposite sides of his torture board. Curly on his stomach and Williams on her back. He then informed Curly of his intentions to look up his anus as Henley again began inhaling paint fumes from a paper bag. 
Dean then handed Henley a hunting knife and ordered him to cut away William's clothes, insisting that while he would rape and kill her Curly, Henley would do likewise to William's. Henley began cutting away William's clothes as Coral undressed and began to assault and torture Curly. Both Curly and Williams had awakened by this point. Curly began right writhing and shouting as Williams, whose, ga whose gag Henley had removed, lifted her head and asked Henley, Is this for real? To which Henley answered, Yes. Williams then asked Henley, Are you going to do anything about it? Henley then asked Dean if he could take Williams into another room. Dean ignored him, and Henley then grabbed Coral's pistol, shouting, You've gone far enough, Dean. As Dean got off Curly, Henley elaborated, I can't go, go on any longer. I can't have you kill all my friends. Dean approached Henley, saying, Kill me, Wayne. Henley stepped back a few paces as Dean continued to advance upon him, shouting, You won't do it. Henley then fired at Dean, hitting him in the forehead. The bullet failed to fully penetrate Dean's skull, and uh, he continued to lurch toward Henley, whereupon the youth fired another two rounds, hitting Dean in the left shoulder. Dean then ran out of the room, hitting the wall of the hallway. Henley fired three additional bullets into his lower back and shoulder as Dean slid down the wall in the hallway outside the room where the two other teenagers were bound. Dean died where he fell, his naked body facing the wall. Henley would recall that immediately after he shot Dean, that Dean would have been proud of the way he had behaved during the confrontation, adding that Dean had been training him to react quickly and forcefully, and this is, that this was exactly what he had done. After Henley had shot Dean, he and Kenley began weeping as Curly repeatedly thanked him for saving his life. Henley then released Curly and Williams from the torture board, and all three teenagers dressed and discussed what actions they should take. Henley suggested Curly and Williams that they should simply leave, to which Curly replied, no, we should call the police. Henley agreed and the police were called. Curly, Curly later told detectives that before the police officer had arrived at Lamar Drive, Henley had informed him, if he wasn't my friend, I could have gotten $200 for you. Henley was found guilty of six murders for which he was, was tried the following day, July 16th, and on August 8th, Judge Preston Dow ordered that Henley serve each 99-year sentence consecutive lead totaling 594 years, and he was transferred to the Huntsville unit to formally begin his sentence. He appealed and was tried on June 27, 1979. The jury deliberated for over two hours before reaching the verdict. Henley was again convicted of six murders and sentenced to six concurrent 99-year terms. Burke was brought to trial on February 27, 1975. He had been indicted for four murders committed between 1970 and June of 1973. Brooks' trial lasted less than one week. The jury deliberated for just 90 minutes before they reached a verdict. He was found guilty of Lawrence's murder on March 4, 1975, and sentenced to life imprisonment. Brooks showed no emotion as the sentence was passed, although his wife burst into tears. Brooks also appealed his sentence, contending that the signed confessions used against him were taken without his being informed of his legal rights. But his appeal was dismissed in May of 1979. Henley is serving his life sentence at the Mark Stiles Unit in Jefferson County, Texas. Successive parole applications dating from July 1980 have been denied. He is next eligible for parole in October of 2025. Brooks served his life sentence at the Thrall Unit near Rosharn, Texas. He died of COVID-19 related complications at a Galveston hospital on May 28, 2020 at the age of 65. Brooks is buried at Captain Joe Bird Cemetery in Walker County. Dean and his accomplices are 
known to have killed a minimum of 28 teenagers and young men between September 1970 and August 1973, although it is suspected that the true number of victims is higher. As Dean was killed immediately prior to his murders being discovered, the true number of victims he had claimed will never be known. 27 of Corral's known victims have been identified in the identity of a 28th victim whose body has never been found. Mark Scott is conclusively known. All of these victims were killed by either shooting, strangulation, or a combination of both. 42 boys have vanished within the Houston area between 1970 and Corral's death in 1973. So that is the story of Dean Corral, the Candyman, a.k.a. the Pied Piper. So basically, he was a serial killer and using these young men to get other boys and kill them. Sad. Crazy. Sick. Really sick. And I would like to thank my daughter for bringing this case to our attention. She's not feeling well right now, so I'm praying for her. But yeah, that's a really sick case. I just, when she told me about this case, I'm like, really? Like, that's sick. First, he lives across the street from a elementary school, was giving away free candy to these kids, knowing he's a predator. And then just torturing these kids, cutting off, mutilating their bodies, and doing all that weird crap to them. That's just nasty. Nasty. You would think somebody would have been. That's a lot of people. In a three-year span. Well, they say a lot of the parents would go to the police, and the police were saying they that these boys were runaways. They say no, Mark is missing, but the police didn't believe them. Way too many boys be runaways. <laughs> that's let's call a spade a spade. There's more majority of girls be runaways, not boys. Mm-hmm. So that uh, twenty-eight people in three years. That's that's kind of wild. Yeah, the worst killing spree in American history at the at that time when it was taking place. So that's just sick. Sick that people do like, sick things. It's like eight. Didn't have Kia per year. Plus, he had help getting these little kids. Right, and- that's the reason why they get what they get. And it's like, okay, now you're going to act all self-righteous and shoot the guy dead. Right. And you was accomplished the whole time. Right. It's like... It was y'all friends. Right. Y'all telling your your friends to this guy to be murdered and tortured. Like, what kind of friend are you? Right. If that's yeah. a friend. I don't want one. You got friends <laughs> like that. What you need enemies for? Right. Well, uh, we wrapped that up. I was surprised. Because that is a pretty long case, and that's me shortening it down, typically. But, you know, any cases we cover, like I say, if you guys want to dig deeper into them, we only have a limit of 30 minutes. So I try to shorten them down as much as I can for you guys to get the point through of the cases, basically. So you guys want to look in more into it? It's That was the Dean Corral case, a.k.a. the Candyman, a.k.a. the Pied Piper. No, R. Kelly, we're not talking about you. So. Well, a pop piper before him. <laughs> you don't talk about before him. Oh, there was one before him. Yeah. 
I don't know. We'll get more into more in them. Sickos. <laughs> There's so many cases with sick-ass people out there. I mean... But is they there... start from somewhere. Yeah. They just don't wake up one morning like, I'm just going to do that. But they have a motive to things that they do. They start from somewhere. And... Nine times out of ten, half of that stuff started from where? Inside they home. Alright. Alright, little weird ass stuff going on in the home and turns them into cycles, I guess. Parents don't give a damn after they have them. They don't even like each other. So therefore, like, oh, well, stop recreating. Stop. Stop it. Especially if you can't control them. Then they turn out to be like that. Or even worse. Right. And everybody else probably raised the right way. Even if they have one parent, they probably raised the right way. And they have to lose their child because you can't control your child. Or your children. Like, you know. There's plenty of stories with a bunch of would be, be a whole clan of little misfits. Parents on drugs, not giving a damn. Daddy ain't at home. He wandering the streets. Mama prostituting. They both on drugs. Like, just it is sad. And then somebody else have to lose their children or family members because of that behavior. So rest in peace to all of those young people that lost their life. The heads of the hands of those monsters. I'm gonna say those monsters because they was well equipped to be a monster too because they assisted. Right. They was the they was the Robin to his Batman. So right, and over greed and money. Yeah. It's like he did over his twist, whatever. But his they did over greed and money. The fetish, fantasy. Like, that's just sick. I don't see how killing people and torturing them and doing stuff like that gets people off. Like you sick fuckers. It's like that's the sick. Sick, sick, sick. They want justice that should happen to them. Mm-hmm. Most no, they definitely. family member. <laughs> it's the crazy part about it. Oh, is there anything else you want to say before we end today? Nope. I just want to say thank you to all our listeners. We really appreciate you. If you like what you hear, please don't forget to subscribe, like, follow, and comment. We are, we are also available on the following platforms, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and more. Our Facebook page is Diversity in D. Our email is diversityind at gmail.com, but it's spelled D-I-V-E-R-C-I-T-Y-I-N-T-H-E-D. Thanks again to our listeners. Without you, there's no us. And we are now on Instagram at Diversity in D. And I hope you guys have a great week. Try to stay warm out there now that the weather is kind of being above freezing. And again, go Lions this Sunday. Have a good day.